term. I have to confess that my wife is not too thrilled about the start of the school term as a teaching assistant. Um, but if there's one thing that we all truly fear, I think it would be to be condemned. To be condemned. Think about that. The criminal sitting in the dock of the courtroom, awaiting the condemnation for his crime. What misery. He knows he deserves everything coming to him, but that doesn't lessen the blow when the guilty verdict comes in. What about the power of social media today? Uh, No one wants to be slammed for what uh, we think and say on social media, on Facebook or whatever else, Twitter. And so we're very, very careful in what we say online. And I think it's wise to be careful in what we say online. But it's a terrible thing to be condemned on social media. Even worse is cyberbullying, where anonymous cowards condemn people they don't like, driving them to despair. The fear of condemnation is very, very powerful. And we all know ourselves the anguish when we condemn ourselves for something stupid that we've done. How could I be so stupid? We beat ourselves up over it. We can even condemn ourselves for how we look or how much we weigh or how much food we've eaten or not eaten. Uh, It's just miserable when we are under condemnation. And I would say that such condemnation is impossible to bear. It's an impossible burden to bear upon our shoulders. But there's actually something worse than all of the examples I've just given to you in the last minute or so. They pale into insignificance compared with being condemned by God. Can you just imagine the scene? The holy God sitting upon his majestic heavenly throne, awesomely resplendent in glory and in majesty. A huge screen bigger than this one starts to replay everything we have ever done in life. Not only every wrong thing that we've done, but every harsh word. And worst of all, every evil thought of our heart is displayed for all to see. I don't know about you, but I would be slumped down on the ground. I would wish that the ground would just swallow me up. Who could stand? No one. There is simply nothing worse in the universe than to be under the condemnation of the Lord God Almighty. But there is some astonishing good news in tonight's reading. Listen to the incredible verdict in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That's scandalous. That's grace. That's the gospel. Is there anything more magnificent to hear than in the whole Bible than these words? No condemnation for us sinners. We've all got a past. Whether we're young or old, we've all got a past. No condemnation for our greed. No condemnation for our selfishness. No condemnation for our lust. No condemnation for our same-sex attraction. No condemnation for those who've had an abortion in the past. No condemnation for the divorce. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what we've done, the good news is that we are no longer under condemnation because of the gospel of Jesus. How sweet is that? 
That is so awesome that if I was a bit more old-fashioned, I'd yell out, Hallelujah! But I'm not. But we have assurance, we have certainty, we have hope, we have freedom, we have joy and peace and security in the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the pinnacle of Paul's argument that he's been building up ever since Romans 1, looking at the sinful nature of all humanity. And then his arguments through Romans 4, 5, 6 and 7, and the summary is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In many ways, Romans 8, 1 is just another way of explaining Romans 5, 1. It's the flip side of Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification by faith, the heart of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? This is the rock that we must cling to when we're assailed by the storms of doubt. This is the steadfast anchor when we're buffeted by temptation. This is the only safe port when we face the wild storms of sin that threaten to engulf us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Somehow, we need to embed these words into the core of our being. Somehow, we need to chisel these words onto, the, onto our hearts. Somehow, it's a metaphor, guys, so don't do it literally. Uh, but we need to hold on to this promise when the tough times come, when the accuser accuses us in a very sneaky way that we are not good enough for God. Because the truth is, in ourselves, we are not good enough for God. But that's the amazing truth of the gospel. And this verdict makes all the difference in our lives if we are in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that condition? If we are in Christ Jesus. In fact, this condition is repeated twice in this passage of 11 verses. If we are in Christ Jesus. This passage not only tells us why this is possible, which we'll look at soon, but also what difference it makes in our everyday lives. Living here in Marumba Downs in 2016, what difference does this truth of no condemnation mean for how we are to live? Because it's got huge implications for our life of sanctification, living as followers of Jesus, being transformed into his likeness. So verse 1 makes it clear that not only are we eternally pardoned for our sin, but we're also given power over sin, supernatural power over sin. We are free from condemnation and we are free over sin, the law of sin and death. Listen to verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of life. Life in all of its fullness, life in all of its beauty, life in all of its goodness, life in all of its joy. And the law, or the principle of the spirit of life, has set us free from the law of sin and death. Freedom is such an awesome thing. Just think of the condemned prisoner 
on death row, suddenly being granted royal pardon and being released. What joy, what relief, what delight. That condemned prisoner would suddenly have a whole new hope in front of him. He would live in a different way as a result. Just think, if only the feedback on social media was positive, no negativity allowed. Just think of the relief when we don't have to condemn ourselves anymore. We don't need to believe the lies that we sometimes believe. Freedom is the fulfilment of all who we were meant to be in God as his children. I love Psalm 126. The whole psalm's wonderful. I'll just read verses 1 and 2, where it describes the reaction of those set free from captivity in Babylon. Psalm 126, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. You can just feel the the release, the joy, the overwhelming delight at being freed from captivity and returning to Jerusalem. What a beautiful picture of real freedom. But one common mistake that many people um um, make is that they define freedom as the choice to do anything they like, whether good or evil. That's a very common view in our world today. Hey, I have freedom, I can do whatever you li- I like, don't tell me what to do, okay? Now, the Bible explains that without God, we're in fact enslaved to sin. We actually are slaves to sin. We cannot help but sin. And the deceptive nature of sin is that we don't really think our sin is really that bad compared to other people. But then when we try and submit to God's law, his rule, submit to his rule in our flesh, we're shocked to realise that it's impossible. Hey, hang on, I want to please God, but I just can't. It's impossible for me to please God. And so this is why we need to see sin for what sin really is. It is so horrible and so evil and such an affront to God's glory that we instinctively know that it must be destroyed. And it's the beauty and the goodness and the holiness of the gospel that exposes this truth. That real freedom comes from no longer being enslaved to sin. Only the spirit of life could set us free in Christ Jesus. The only question for us is, if we are in Christ Jesus, and we'll come to that in a moment, are we going to live according to the spirit of life or not? Are we going to pursue joy for our good, or are we going to pursue things that lead to misery and ultimately death? That's the choice that we have before us tonight. So, the rest of this passage is looking at a couple of big questions. How can we enjoy the benefits of this diplomatic immunity? On what basis can the eternal God of the universe declare us free from condemnation? This is where Paul once more explains in verse 3, the gospel in all of its power and all of its glory. We know that the law is good, but we know that the Old Testament law couldn't save anyone. We know that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was sent into this world as a human being. He lived a perfect life to die as our substitute, to die as my substitute for my sins, and then to rise to glorious life, conquering death and conquering the power of sin. Listen to verse 3. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He's retelling the central truths of the gospel in a different way. He goes on to say in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. So we see here there's two options. There are people who walk according to the flesh, there are people here who walk according to the spirit. This is talking about how we can live in the freedom that Jesus has won for us. You see, the good news is not just that we will not be condemned when we stand before the heavenly throne of God. The good news is that Jesus gives us victory and freedom over sin in the meantime. We know these terms theologically are justification and sanctification. Once and for all, we're declared not guilty. We are justified in the courtroom of of heaven. Whereas in sanctification, we are being transformed from the inside out to become more and more like Jesus in our character. And so the question that verse 4 raises for us is, how is the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in us? Well, there's two ways that I can think of. Firstly, we know that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law in every way through his active obedience. And this was something no other person could do or can do. But secondly, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we repent of our sin, when we say, yes, Jesus, I'm following you, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And he helps us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul and mind and strength, to love our neighbour as ourselves sacrificially. This is what I think it means to fulfil the righteous requirement of the Lord, to walk according to the Spirit, to live by the power of the indwelling Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, God the Holy Spirit. So the rest of this passage, folks, presents a very stark contrast between the Christian and the non-Christian. Those who walk according to the Spirit and those who walk according to the flesh. So I should just clarify at this stage what we mean by these two things. The Spirit simply refers to the Holy Spirit. He's also called the Spirit of God in this passage, the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer. The flesh, on the other hand, refers to our fallen, sinful nature, which we have all inherited from Adam. And the big transformation that happens when we become a Christian, we still have these bodies, we still wrestle with sin, but we have the Spirit of God which gives us the power and authority over sin. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Now, friends, you don't need me to tell you that we live in a world of such complexity. Uh, more and more issues and problems every day that we have to grapple with. How are we to live as salt and light in Australia in 2016? So many issues to deal with. Um, there's so many different nuances to different issues, so many different viewpoints. But you know what? The Bible is just so clear. We have two choices in how we live our life. We can live according to the spirit or we can live according to the flesh. There are truly only two ways to live. 
And so as we look through these next few verses, I found this a really searching framework for us to, to test ourselves, to examine ourselves, to allow the Word of God to be a mirror to our own life, to see whether we are truly in Christ or not. Because the blessings of being in Christ are incalculable. No condemnation. Let's listen to verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. What a contrast. Death with all of its ugliness versus life and peace. It's a good question for all of us. It's a good question for me. What do I set my mind on? Where does my mind wander when I have the free time to think about anything that I want to? What do we think about? What do we like to think about? Do we only like to think about ourselves, our desires, our appetites, our lusts? Or do we think about the things of the Spirit, the joy that comes from knowing Jesus, the good news that is for all people, how we can love and serve others, how we can be displaying the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Now, if we're not a Christian, it's actually impossible to think about the things of the Spirit. So that's absolutely necessary if we want to walk in the Spirit, if we want to live according to the Spirit. But what about if we are Christians, we know we've made a decision, we're following Jesus, but you know what, if I'm really honest, I'm not really thinking about the things of the Spirit. The big question is, how can we change what we think about? So this is very practical. Uh, And it really is a matter of what we put in reflects what comes out, input in and output. What do we listen to? What do we watch? Where do we go online when we're surfing? What do we read? What do we choose to read online? Are we following Philippians 4.8? When it comes to the choices that we make in our leisure time. I love Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4.8 is a wonderful filter to give us guidance about what we should be doing with our spare time to uh, determine what we're thinking about. It also reminds me of an old quote, if we sow a thought, we reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. What are we sowing in terms of the input we're giving into our hearts and our minds? But let's be really, really honest here. The most godly experience, wise Christians I know still struggle with sin in their 60s and 70s. So we know that we're not under no condemnation. We know that we have the Holy Spirit but we still wrestle with temptation. We still blow it. How do we respond to that? How do we deal with that after reading these verses here in Romans 8? And if you particularly have a tender tender conscience, which is actually a very beautiful thing in God's sight to have a tender conscience, you may be worried, am I actually walking in the spirit? 
Should I be doubting my salvation? And it's made worse when we have such a cruel and deceptive adversary. We know that another name for the devil is the accuser. He loves to accuse the saints. Oh, look at that David French there. He just blew it today. How can he call himself a Christian? You must be ashamed of him, God. We know these thoughts that we have in our own mind. Oh, man, can Jesus really love me? Am I beyond his salvation? How should we respond when we doubt our salvation? Well, friends, the answer is that we need to respond with gutsy courage. We need to claim the truth of Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We confess our sin. We repent of our sin. And we claim the promise of God in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The fact that we mourn our sin, the fact that we are quick to confess and repent of our sin is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'd be far more concerned if you just didn't even have a twinge of conscience about your sin and you carried on blissfully sinning away. I'd be very, very concerned in that regard. But if you have a sensitive conscience, if you are quick to confess, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your lives. The great news is that we can fight sin with the power of the Holy Spirit since we are no longer enslaved to sin. We are pardoned from sin and we have power over sin. Let's continue in verse 7. The mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible. It's simply impossible to live by the Spirit if we are not justified. Sanctification is impossible without justification. So those in the flesh are described as hostile toward God. They have no desire to submit to God's good rule in Jesus. They cannot please God. This is what scripture is saying. Jesus himself in John 3, actually John actually writing in John 3.36, reinforces what we learn here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. No condemnation. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon them. So friends, there are two choices. Life or death. Peace or misery. Joy or despair. What a choice. I don't know about you, but for me it's a no-brainer. No condemnation. True freedom over sin, life and peace in the gospel of Jesus. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If we are in Christ Jesus, the spirit of God dwells within us. Even though we will still struggle with sin because of the fallen world that we live in, 
The difference is we have power over sin. We are not enslaved. We fight sin with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the full confidence that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. We have the great and certain hope of the redemption of our bodies themselves. Even though our bodies are fading away, our bodies will eventually die as a consequence of the fall. But because we have the Spirit of God alive in us, we look forward expectantly to our new bodies. And I know I'm looking forward to that very much. This is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the big question from tonight's passage is very, very simple and it is very, very clear. Are we in Jesus Christ? Do we have the Spirit of God indwelling us? Are we walking according to the Spirit or are we enslaved to the flesh? If you know that you have not yet committed yourself to following Jesus and you know that your sin condemns you, I urge you to not delay. Tonight is the night of salvation. Today is the day to be declared not guilty. Today is the day to be to embrace the free gift of no condemnation. Now, if you're a Christian, but you find yourself condemned by your past, or you're condemned by other people, or you're condemned by your own conscience, I want you to hold on to this truth with all of your heart. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are, un- you are in Christ Jesus. You are the child of God. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and nothing or nobody can ever rob you of this spiritual birthright in the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are so grateful for this astonishing verdict. No condemnation. Father God, all of us know that we are sinners. We submit ourselves to you. We love you. We thank you for how you've poured out your love into our lives through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ himself indwelling us. Father, help us not to grieve the Spirit. Help us to pursue joy and not misery. Help us to fight the good fight of the faith by clinging to your promises, clinging to our justification through the gospel once and for all. Father, I pray for anyone tonight who may be struggling, who are unsure that you would work in their heart and bring them to a point of repentance where they might cry out to you for salvation and know you as their Lord and their Saviour. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.